Welcome to the Arena Decklist Podcast. I'm Jerry Thompson, joined by Brian Gottlieb. I'm tired as hell. I don't know about Brian. Uh, get to talk a little bit about Limited, a little bit about Standard, maybe a couple formats that people are tired of hearing about, uh, or, you know, tired of playing maybe at this point. I don't know. But uh, Not me, baby. I'm energized and ready to go. Woo! Oh, God. I hate people like you. Hate is a strong <laughs> word. Hate is a strong word, but I don't know, man. I was just uh, up very late slash early. Nine, mm. 9.45 a.m., I think, is, is what people might call early. <laughs> yeah, that's like normal human hours. So uh, tough bedtime yeah. to rock with. And then, so I would have even stayed up later, but then I was like, oh, crap, podcast at one. Brian yep. told me this. I should have known better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm, usually I'd be more flexible and, uh, you know, let you go with whatever works for your sleep schedule. But I'm on a, a tight schedule this week. I got my my brother's wedding over the next couple of days. I got rehearsal dinner tonight and then heading to the wedding tomorrow. So on a on a pretty confined schedule for the foreseeable future. Yeah. Those are like real life things that matter. Yeah. Uh, un- unlike Magic the Gathering. But whatever let's get into it first uh we're gonna we're gonna talk a little bit about limited because i have thoughts and Same. <laughs> and and brian actually did some battling uh, i did i know that's gonna be very shocking to all of our listeners but i fired up arena and i, I hopped in to the what is it arena open right is that what i yep. played yep yeah is, is that what i played dude i love the story I love the stories of the people who like play in the qualifiers and then are just like, okay, what did I qualify for? Yeah. What happens next? I definitely had that moment for sure. Yeah. So it it sounds very similar to that sort of thing, except there's no real like Cinderella story here because you you didn't spoiler alert. You didn't win. Nope. But no no money, no money in my pockets Uh, did qualify for day two, but uh, a sad two, two result in my first draft of the day. And, and then I was free to go about my business for the rest of my Sunday, I believe. Yeah, which is not bad. It's kind of a freeing experience when that happens. It's like a little disappointing where it's like, oh, well, now I'm just I'm out. But then you just get to do whatever the hell you want and you don't have to play sealed anymore. I guess Sunday I, was draft, though. Sunday was draft. Yeah, I, I do generally like the arena opens, especially the limited ones. And just like playing this event. Despite. Some complaining, which I'll get into just because I'm contractually obligated to always complain about something. Um, but these events are really, really good. We got to rewrite your contract. Yeah, you have a really poorly written one. Uh, I kind of lowered you a little bit when you put it together. But um, d- despite any complaining I may do, these events are really, really well set up. They're really good to just hop in for someone like me who hasn't had time to be very invested in magic and like get a little taste of what's going on. And it just hammers home to me how great it would be if there was a real limited circuit for magic the gathering like if i could just go attend a limited gp or gp equivalent and then like maybe that qualified me for a limited pro tour that would be so cool that's just that's all i want out of magic right now that's the only thing i realistically have time to engage with it's kind of like the thing i like the most about magic still i i understand the financial difficulties of putting together such a circuit uh but it does feel like the world has changed a lot and limited as like a destination event feels more realistic now than it has been in the past 
And I think arena helps that. I think just the general state of the player base helps that the level of like hard commitment that players have helps that. And I don't know, this is my very public cry to say, please give us some kind of limited circuit play that I can participate in. This would not be the one thing that I want out of magic currently, but uh, it is up there. It feels like the most attainable thing, honestly. Like there's there's a oh. lot of other things I would change, but this feels like realistically attainable. And I I think I can make a good business case for it too. But, uh, you know, obviously I, my business goals are very different than Wizards. So. Yeah, any any tournament series I think is going to be pretty difficult to make it's a hard. business case on, it's I hard. think. They could just accompany these like magic fest though like they that they could just run parallel and be like yeah, a persistent absolutely. thing and problem solved i think but that's entirely possible but i mean you need all the space for all the rad stuff that they do you know yeah. command zone is 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 a big place it's a happening place they're doing a lot of panels and have a lot of vendors and all that stuff like i haven't been to like philly or vegas or anything like that but you know i've, I've seen pictures and I've heard people talking and it seems it seems like space is difficult to come by no matter what venue you're in. Yeah, I look, I totally concede that these things are never as simple as they are to say. It's very easy to just be like, oh, just add a 2000 person limited event to your to your ongoing circuit. And the reality is so much infinitely more complicated than that. So, yeah, I remember people saying stuff like that to SCG back in the days. Like, oh, just rent out another hall. Just yeah. open, open the wall up. And it's just like, do you know how much that costs? Nope, they don't. No, that's the core. That is the core of that statement is they do not know. But for the things that are along the lines of like the, you know, 30th anniversary events, I, I think that that is reasonable, probably. But anyway, uh, if if we talked about that sort of thing on the cast before, because I know that I was like vehemently defending the idea of doing something like that, but got into some of the logistics issues with it where it's like you need some time to get off the ground and get it running and get people like interested and limited again yeah i I feel like i've mentioned this before i kind of just have like the same five talking points this is also in my contract by the way like i'm obligated to complain and then there's five talking points that are laid out and i just cycle through them endlessly yeah limited shill Uh, that that one's up there Mm -hmm. uh well what'd you think you know you you played the format you've heard the words that people have been saying uh like how how did it go give us the q and d rundown and uh did it, like the reverse hype i guess live up to it uh it was a very interesting format unfortunately i do not mean interesting in a good way especially when it comes to sealed in playing my games i i took i fired two bullets uh f- five two on the first one i think or five three in the first one and then i qualified on the second one uh first one was a deck that like for a first pass of the format looked very very broken to me second one was a deck that looked very very bad to me uh then i played the games and i kind of understood what was going on here and the format's a little bit of a mess in a way that i think is probably really appealing to a certain class of players and not at all appealing to players like myself because there's kind of two squeezes going on simultaneously. And I'm, I'm failing to think of another time where these squeezes were as intense and as clear as they are with this set. But there's what I call the front side squeeze, 
where not only are the two drops extremely damning, like if you miss your two drop spot in a game of sealed, you are just fucked. It's almost impossible to play from that position. The one drops are also hellacious in this format as well and can completely take over a game. So there is that pressure in the first two turns to do something. And a lot of times just doing something is not enough. You need to do something good or you need to be on the play. Otherwise, you're just going to get absolutely trampled. The second squeeze is that while this stuff is going on, there are also like 15 completely unbeatable rares, not mythic rares, but rares at the same time. So if you are able to transition past the point where you're just getting like steamrolled and then you hit five, six mana thresholds at a reasonably safe life total, then these cards just have outsized influence on the game and nothing you do matters at that point. So there's two ways where you can really lose agency in, in, of the game. And it felt like every single game of Sealed I played was just like, which one of those two axes did I either succeed or fail on? And as soon as I understood that, that pointed me towards very specific ways of building my deck, which is, again, interesting as an experiment in terms of gameplay one of the worst sealed formats I've ever played. I, I actually struggle to think of one that is worse. Yeah. That building was fine, but gameplay was just horrible. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. To kind of put this into perspective, your first deck had four Volt Charges. Seemed great. So like, Now I'm like, fuck that card. Yeah, two R, instant, three damage, proliferate. Uh <laughs> in its previous limited format, I was like, oh, like this is really good, you know? And even in a format like this, that is pretty fast. The, the fact that it can go upstairs and like help you close a game, help win a race or whatever, uh, proliferate is, it's got a lot of stuff to do in the format. A lot of cute stuff. Yeah. You just don't have time for like both a three mana removal spell removal in general. Mm -hmm. and uh to really just sit around messing with proliferate stuff unless it's like giving you a huge edge and the sizing on it too like it's just yeah. awkward like it just yeah. doesn't do what you need it to do and you know things like the the one drop red removal spell two damage to any creature four damage to a, a toxic creature infinitely better in my eyes ossification the pacifism both infinitely better in my eyes. And I, I was so excited when I saw four of these. I'm like, how do I, I actually think I messaged you and I'm like, do I just win? Because I also had the Wandering Emperor and I'm like, these cards seem very good. And the Red Mythic as well, the like Phyrexian thing that gets indestructible. Yeah, which um, which does actually double the Volt Charge. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so like, I just, that, I thought I was just like rolling deep. Like there was no way I was even going to be challenged. Yeah, so that that can come up. I've had that happen in some of my decks where it's like, oh, you know, like now Volt Charge being Lava Axe plus one. All right. Like Pretty that good. is that is really good, but uh, there were definitely some issues with your deck, and I was just like, "Look, you know, you're like lacking on the curve a lot. You're gonna be on the play with a bunch of like reactive cards and not necessarily progressing your board and everything." And it was just like I I, I sort of just want to like cut one, if not two, of these volt charges, but like you you really didn't have a whole lot to actually fill out your deck with. It was like what three mana two three with. Uh, a very very mediocre ability yeah. do you want to slot in and it's like god it feels silly to like still cut a volt charge for that but i i honestly think you would have been better served for it no and I, I was just missing twos and like in retrospect i played the most powerful cards in my sealed pool you did yeah that's not what i was supposed to do though like i 
I, I don't think that's actually correct in this format because there are these like really, really pressing needs. And to be fair, like, I'm not sure I actually had a better option. Like, I, I think I, pr I probably like had a like a 90% correct deck for the pool I was handed. Um, but that just goes to show that like a lot of it was out of my hands, despite hitting some of these bombs and like, I don't know, that's a that's a weird feeling because I was getting squeezed on the two axes and I, I was participating on the overpowered bomb side of things. I was not participating, though, effectively against the ones and two drops. Yeah. And normally I do like the side of, of sealed where it's like yeah, you just mostly play your good cards. You know, mm -hmm. like if you if you stack ranked or like gave all the cards a number grade and you just ended up playing like the most powerful ones and maybe that ends up with like your mana being like a little bit of sh a little shaky or whatever and just fill that out with some card advantage and whatnot like normally that's a pretty reasonable recipe for sealed i don't think that that's the case here i like there are definitely colors where you're able to do stuff like this i think like green black and maybe to a lesser extent blue you can build your decks a little bit more defensively if you have the tools but it's really difficult to walk someone through that where yeah. it's just like no trust me like you know you should cut a vol charge for a three mana two three with no abilities and have them believe you so just like all right you know like here are my thoughts and just play the games you'll see for yourself and then uh I, to be fair i don't think that you had the tools to like do something more defensive or anything either so right. I, I think you're right we're just like you're kind of locked into boros and maybe the details for how you built your deck were sort of up in the air but it you know if you're off it was by like two or three cards you know not yep. by a ton. yep that's my expectation as well um, and then <laughs> then your second deck you, sh you sent me the picture of it and i was like god this looks like clunky and bad but it was mostly creatures and you're like yeah i just i don't know, cast spells and my opponents died yep i played a bunch of two drops i had a bunch of like the for equipments so my curve was really nicely filled and then i had just enough like those cards scaling into the late game to buff you know evasive threat flying threat whatever they needed to buff in that scenario double striking threat and then i stole a bunch of games and it was just playing on that first axis almost exclusively like no real way i think i had like an ossification in my deck no real way to answer bombs no bombs of my own but i was really good on those ones and twos and it worked that was that was enough and again i didn't do a lot of sideboarding i didn't feel like i had a bunch of decisions to make in deck building it was just like play these cards and then playing the games it's like was i on the play because if i was i probably overwhelmed you was i on the draw did i you know hit key removal spell to reclaim tempo did you miss your two drop okay then i won and that's that's all it felt like, like i did not feel there was one spot where like i had to make a pretty crafty play with like uh charge of the mites dealing damage while i had the uh sacrifice a creature you control to destroy an artifact effect on the stack and okay that made me feel like a little smart for a second that was that was really the highlight of interaction throughout the games uh but everything else was just like play my threats attack get my result at the end cool and then how'd the draft go 
Draft uh, talked a lot with you. I talked with uh, D-Rude a little bit about his experience drafting. And just like, to me, the simplest thing to do was just like hone in on some lanes. Uh, basically, the aggro lanes was where I wanted to be. I didn't, I am sure control is very viable if you know what you're doing. Um, and probably requires a lot of card evaluations that I was not prepared to make. So I just kind of figured out where I wanted to be in aggro spaces, thought about things in terms of a branching, uh, mostly like green based, but being ready to go to either Celesnia poison, green, red aggro, or just play Boros again. Um, drafted in such a way that like prioritized white pretty hard early, but not like, you know, not ignoring bombs or anything like that. Just, slight prioritization over white for white cards and like ended up some early ones that were strong but by the end of the draft it was very clear that i was just supposed to be the blue drafter at the table or somebody at the table was supposed to be like the just blue cards floating around forever and with some more knowledge i maybe could have gotten into a better spot ended up with a pretty mediocre green white toxic deck and uh went to two was close like the the one match i played was like uh very back and forth very my opponent and I top decking, not clear who was going to win. Um, so it was fine. It was it was a cool, it was a cool way to engage with the format in a very limited space. I thought the draft was interesting. I thought the games still mostly sucked. <laughs> Just not not a lot there for me to really cling on to and and find all that exciting. I I think you would enjoy the blue white stuff. I believe that. Uh not necessarily because like, oh, it's artifact synergies or whatever, but just because it is very classic, at least the way that I've been drafting them is like pretty classic uh, tempo racing deck. Like I think about uh, our team sealed that we did mm -hmm. and how you had like the blue white flyers deck that was basically just all commons. Right. And it was like, Oh, you know, you know, you know how to play this deck, right. It's just like yeah. riding a bike. It doesn't matter what the cards are or whatever, what the format is. It's just like, this is a thing that's viable. This is a thing that you can do and you know how to navigate those games. Yep. And I, I wish I could have taught you how to, how to draft blue white or whatever. Like there was a point when the format started where people were like, ah, blue's unplayable, blah, blah, blah. And I, I just, took that as a challenge oh yeah I, I love those scenarios i'm especially with blue like i have heard that about blue in a format many many times and i'm often like uh i think you probably just don't get it and i'm gonna go ahead and, and figure this out and sometimes like it's not there i think back to like one of the clearest examples of me trying to figure out the bad color was like battle for zendikar and green where green was just an absolute train wreck and you could have like a very very good green red landfall deck and you still couldn't compete with a very mediocre any other deck which actually happened to me at the pro tour and i was happy that i had spent all that time forcing it because i do think like i had a very good understanding of how to do it as best you could but despite having this monster draft and like the perfect green red uh landfall deck i got up against sandy dog in the finals of our draft pod and he was black red and i'm like i have no chance i am i am confident he is going to run me over and i finished two sure. one with the deck that looked just off the charts good and that's exactly what i expected from it yeah um 
so it, it is it is quite interesting when like you just can't overcome the problems of the format but i didn't get the sense just looking at the cards that this was one of those formats that, like blue seemed very reasonable very viable and you shared some decks with me where i'm like yep this makes sense to me i understand and they probably look very different than most people's blue decks, at least at the start of the format, I would assume. Yeah, I don't it's it's getting kind of weird where like I'm not playing a ton or anything, but there have definitely been drafts where I've played like three blue white mirrors in a row or whatever. So it's like I don't mm. know if that's small sample size. It definitely seems like it's been happening a lot more lately. Um, but maybe the consensus on that has kind of shifted. But maybe blue blue in this format just has like a lot of weird cards and it's not as straightforward as like the red or the white stuff or even the green stuff, you know? So I, I can totally understand how people would just be like, what the hell am I supposed to do with this stuff? Like, you know, some of it's artifact based. Some of it is telling you to kind of like slow down and play a longer game. Yeah, some some it, big butts on the creatures. Yeah. And, and some of it is just like pretty traditional, like card advantage stuff. So it's like, and and then there's I don't know random like two mana two ones that are telling you to attack and stuff. So it's just like what the hell am I supposed to be doing, right? And uh, Eyes of Melkator is the one. It's uh, this three mana artifact that ETB you scry to, and then when, whenever an artifact ETB is under your control, it becomes a four four until mm -hmm. end. I think people looked at that as like, wow, this is like the big artifact payoff for this archetype, and it it does look like that. But then even just like thinking about it, it's like a three mana four four that basically can't block. Like, Doesn't sound great in this format. No, I mean, yeah, it's not great in most modern era limited formats. Sure. Think. But like specifically in this format, too, I don't think it's particularly good. Like there are there are some like tricksy ways to go about, you know, you can like charge the mites to enable it to block or whatever. But it's just like I don't even like that card. I don't even like I, I don't pick it highly. I don't put it in most of my decks like it, it's it's fine if you need a playable or whatever, but it is definitely not what I'm setting out to build my deck around. Mm. Yeah, that's yeah. interesting. It's, uh, it's just weird how that's maybe the most like straightforward card. And it's just like, well, it's just not even that good. Mm -hmm. That's cool. I, I mean, I get, I guess like if there isn't going to be layers in gameplay, I really want there to be layers in deck building and a puzzle there to find out. I've said this before, though, I think leaving the deck building puzzle to carry a lot of the weight of whether something is going to be good, be it a format or a mechanic, because this was the problem with Companion in my eyes, like Companion was really, really awesome thing to attempt. And it made deck building during those two weeks of like preview season, loads of fun. I had tons of fun building on rails, trying to figure out these restrictions. And then as soon as you put the cards in play, you're like, this is stupid and I never <laughs> want to do this again. And that's very much the same feeling I was having with this draft format. Well, I'm, I'm looking through our messages and my <laughs> the last three screenshots I sent you, one of them is a deck with 11 one drops. Yep. One. Not surprised. One drops, right? Yep. Uh, the other one has eight, I think. No, uh, a mere seven. Uh, but the one that has seven, I sent you a screenshot where I'm blue-white and I took uh, Phyrexian Injector over the Wandering Emperor. Or yeah, was that like pick five or something? Pick four, pick five? Uh, pack three, pick one. Okay. So okay. It, it's it's late. Later. It's late. Um, but yeah, no no regrets. 
I believe it. I believe it. I, I, it's just what axes are you playing on, right? Like, can you realistically get to that point of Wandering Emperor when you have seven one drops in your deck? Like, that's not what you should be building towards. Like, just lean in on that plan, maximize it, do what you came here to do. Don't get distracted by things like Wandering Emperor. Yeah. And the Emperor is definitely one of the strongest cards in the format, if not the strongest card, but that is not the type of stuff I want in my decks the, the way I'm drafting the format. Uh, one of. So I, I, I peaked at 17 lands, and I know you have your own theories on how useful 17 lands is in oh terms of oh understanding formats. I thought we were going to um, talk about standard some. Don't get me started on this train. Where all right. Going? Uh, let me just say this. I, I did find, like, like, I don't find this information at all determinative. I didn't let it shape my decision process. I did find it very interesting, some of the cards which were high up on the win rate percentages. Uh, and I, I think they were reflective of the state of the format. Some of the ones that are lower, I think, are far less reflective of how good those cards actually are. But things like the 3-1 for Meriden creature being extremely high didn't surprise me in the least. That makes perfect, perfect sense to me. And uh, it was it was very... It was actually like very affirming to my immediate read of the format. I didn't go and look until after I had played some sealed and I wanted to kind of inform my draft process a little bit, at least in terms of what other people were thinking. Uh, and it was it was very, very reaffirming to see that card as high as it was. So um, what which win rate are you referring to? Like oh, win rate in opening hand? Uh, I think so. I don't I don't remember anymore. I don't remember specifically which one it was high on or or like win rate when main decked i think win rate when main deck was the one i was mostly looking at okay eternal wanderer 58 percent fourth overall pretty good fifth overall i mean pretty chimney good. rebel fourth like yeah yeah that high. that was one that really stuck out to me as well that was very very interesting but i get it i i really do in in the context of this format yeah, Dragonwing Glider is high. You had that in your second sealed. Mm -hmm. that, that was a very powerful rare. Like that's that's actually almost exactly where I want to be in terms of rare in this format, right? Where it just is sort of skirting the line between that unbeatable thing and thing which is just contributing to beating down. A lot of these cards are red. Like yeah. our batter fist, furnace punisher. That's that's the one I think I'm talking about. Axiom engraver. Uh, hex gold. Oh, that's hoverwings now. The halberd's up there too. Yep. All right. Okay. Finally, the <laughs> the data the data swings in my favor. Exuberant fuseling, fifty seven percent. Hell yeah, that card is a beast. Absolute beast. Yeah, it is an absolute beast, and I see people like not take it very highly or not play Crazy. it or. Crazy. play it and not play skull bombs alongside it and i i don't get it this no, is that card is an absolute beating yeah among one of my favorite cards in the format and uh the deck that i have 11 one drops in two of them are fuselings so awesome that sounds great sounds like a great place to be yeah i wish i should have just taken like screenshots of all my decks or whatever or just like tracked this more i guess but whatever it's fine it, this this only matters for a handful of folks, I suppose, like the very tiny piece of the Venn diagram who like listens to our podcast, either cares about limited, enjoys limited and or is like playing in, you know, some of these RCQs that are limited or whatever, maybe messing around on arena. But 
Yeah, it's interesting. I, I do think more people engage with limited than we give credit to. And even oh, if it's yeah. not like their primary format, I just think Arena has really changed the the math between how many people are playing games of limited. Um, you know, Magic Online, not a lot of folks were itching to get into the draft queues there, despite the diehards certainly being present, but they really were just diehards, whereas Arena, one of the easiest ways for average person to play, to hop in and play especially, is in limited. So Right. Yeah, it's it's very simple to just click go, especially on your phone. You know, yep. like that that is the majority of the way that I play limited. And that means that if <laughs> you play against me on arena, I am likely doing three things at once also. So perfect, you know, for for when I blow the game or whatever, just like miss an obvious onboard thing. That's probably why uh, uh, I've been doing a lot of gaming while I. I'm on my treadmill recently on my phone. That has been kind of my go-to move. So not only am I like physically exhausted trying to keep my balance and walk around or run around while I'm playing, um, it's it's just not ideal gaming scenarios. Oh, Furnace Skull Bomb is 54%. Okay, climbing up. Which is odd because I feel like that's the one that people dislike the most and... People were talking about how the win rates for Skull Bombs were not high, and that was the one that I assumed like had the thirty percent win rate or whatever. Uh, Maze Skull Bomb also is like a fifty-three percent. Okay, I don't understand what people's arguments were, but whatever. Like, okay, so like win rate when main decked. You know how nonsensical that stat is especially for a card like a skull bomb. The range of decks that these can go in can range from wildly unplayable to like best possible. Yeah, I I think like the case for this stat being least meaningful for artifacts and beyond that cheap cantrick artifacts that can literally just be like, oh, I needed to fill in my curve. My deck was really bad. So here's this thing. Yeah, the the quintessential I'm short on playables or whatever, like get yeah. in my deck. Yeah, I, you know, we talk a lot about statistics and what they say, what they mean, how to use them. The idea that you are supposed to draft according to 17 lands win rate, extremely, extremely flawed. I think great players don't think about things that way for the most part. Like it's just, I, I know you were like in some debates about things like win rate I, I don't think you're debating with top tier players for the most part it's just people who uh sort of want the analytics to do more than they do in magic and there are some flaws with analytics in magic and in everything that's just how these things work well i i mostly opted out of those debates mm, i good thinking i yeah i basically realized that they were pointless and was just like look i'm gonna say my piece and then just be done um and i i do think that like the sheer amount of of data available here there there is something to it right but like there there there's so much that you could look at it and cherry pick whatever stat you want to try and make your argument for whether or not a card is good or bad right mm -hmm. and it felt to me like people were latching on to kind of like nonsensical stats to make their argument that they they thought the spell bombs were bad or whatever. And it's like, I, I don't know why you're like, you know, choosing this hill to die on or whatever. Yep. 
um because because internet that's why yeah it was just bizarre to me like not not everything has to be a debate right like i can just make an observation and you can i disagree with you you can take that away for what it is you can either choose to like think about whether or not i i may have a point or whatever and just move on with your life or yeah you could just like immediately engage in debate you know it's it's not like a jrpg this is not like a random encounter where it's just like you know when you step into the marketplace of ideas gerald you are vulnerable and immediately on trial and you have to defend your position otherwise get the fuck out yeah that's how it works so i don't know i think there are some useful stats some things that are pretty interesting is like the win rate improvement when drawn Mm mm-hmm that one strikes me as like, okay, this is a very specific set of circumstances that is is probably indicative of something going on here, mm. you know? And you see the the one, the cards with the highest number are like, oh, bomb rares, weird. Yeah, yeah that's what you expect. And it's not like, oh, if I just put this in my deck, am I going to win more? It's like, well, what if you just don't draw the card? How how did that like affect your stat? You know, like was the rest of your deck good? Was the rest of your deck, uh, you know, conducive to this card existing in your deck or to like helping you draw it or mm-hmm. you know making sure that you won when it was actually in play or whatever? Like these things, these are things we don't know. But it's like if you're just using it to try and gauge power level, it's like, yeah, all the cards up here are things that I would consider to be like among the most powerful cards in the format, except for Kaito, maybe not Kaito. Yeah, Atraxa at the number one slot certainly just in terms of like impact on the game that makes a lot of sense right yeah but it's weird because it's like well okay so does this stat track like when you draw it and play it because yeah. I, I understand this just says drawn like i, I know I can't answer that question but but i can't imagine that your win rate goes up by a track so just like sitting just in, your hand. in your hand yeah uh and i would certainly would not expect it to be this high Compared to everything else, right? Why is Shouldred on this list? Because the old Praetors show up as like mythic rares. Oh. Like four or five Shouldred is in the format, technically. Is that true in paper as well? I believe so. Okay. It's certainly true on Arena. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't experience that. My my mind would have been pretty blown had that happened to me. So oh yeah, I'm glad I, didn't experience I, it. I I didn't know, and then my opponent played a shield. I was just like, "What the hell is going on? <laughs> what has just happened?" And then in like one of my next drafts, I got past the the six drop Vorinclax. So I was just like, "Okay, I guess this is the thing." I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. But yeah. Whatever. Like, be be mindful when you're looking at these stats, and certainly be mindful of whether or not you are being biased or trying to bias yourself where you're like, well, is, is this card good? Let me look at the stats and, and try and figure it out. And then you just stop at the first thing that says like, uh, 55% win rates under certain circumstances or whatever, yeah. you know, it's like, don't, don't just look at that. Like look at the whole picture and actually try and figure it out. But I, I guess part of it is being self-aware enough to know what your goals are. Right. And if your goals are to actually learn and get the correct answer, then you'll be able to kind of pace yourself more and be, be seeking the truth. Right. Which is what I try and do. Um, But it it does seem like other people will come in with like, I want to 
I want this data to tell me that like this card is good or whatever, and then I'll figure out a way to do it. Yeah, dangers of data for sure. I, I am very thankful this data exists though. It's it's cool as hell. No, uh, it is it prop, is rad. The seventeen land. It is rad, certainly. This. And it, yeah, if you wanted to see like what were, you know, some of the best cards in the format, I do think like the IWD thing is a neat thing to look at. Uh, this one is kind of weird because it is mostly just rares, but like Annex Entry is up there, mm -hmm. huge impact, and might not be necessarily understood just by like you know without playing the format or like looking at what the card does for the format like it has toxic it has four toughness like there are a lot of tokens there are ways to like blink it or or bounce it to your hand in white at pretty low rarities you know like it i think it once you play the format you're just like oh god like once you have this card you just yep decimate your opponent with it oh it, it overperformed on every conceivable axis for me i think it was in possibly all three of the decks i played uh and you know doing something different in every game just extremely extremely powerful yeah and hits a multitude of permanents also mm -hmm. uh in in a format that does have like random artifacts and enchantments and whatever so yeah just super versatile super powerful Definitely deserve to to be up here, sandwich in between like foreign clex and yep. other rares. Uh, so yeah, just stuff like that. It's it's good. the The data exists. It, it the fact that it exists is is great. I do like it. I certainly look at this website. Uh, and maybe I'm like more interested in limited in general because stuff like this exists. Mm. Yeah, yeah, especially for people like me, you know, spot engaging. I, I just think it's so, so useful to be able to check some things on this real quick. And I'm sure this got me up to a place of competency, much not to say I am competent, but like a, a place of more competency, much, much quicker than I could have otherwise. Yeah. I think part of the problem though, too, is we, we entered into this era of magic where, I mean, it kind of goes hand in hand with like the, the sideboard guide type of stuff where people just want to be handed a fish instead of yep. being taught how to fish. And like, I get it. I get it. You know, uh, folks, time is limited. They, they don't have potentially hundreds of hours of week to spend like testing a deck, testing a matchup or whatever. So just give me a thing that gets me up to competency makes it. So I don't feel bad about attending this tournament, you know? Yep. And I, I think I think that that stuff is great. But then in the same vein, people are just like, I don't care what your rationale is. Just tell me what the win rates are and give me the deck with the highest win rate. And it's like, well, again, data has the same problems, right? Like what what is the level of player A and player B who are playing out these matchups? And mm -hmm. is it, you know, Paulo playing against his friend who has played a couple fnms or whatever and it's like that's what you're using to determine the matchup percentage uh and it's just people's over reliance on that data just because it's easy it's easy to just look at the number and say it's like oh well this matchup is you know 60 percent in my favor therefore i'm gonna play x xyz whatever and then it also gives people a reason to like complain which i've heard in real life where it's like oh i've beaten this matchup like 70% of the time or whatever. Mm -hmm. I can't believe I lost to you. And it's like, well, yeah, you're 
opponent is like a pro to a regular and you are not, you know, like what, yeah. what are you actually complaining about? So it, it is kind of sad. I don't, I don't like it. I understand why it's happening and, and why it exists or whatever, but it's just like, man, is, is there a way to, to make it so things are not like this? Nope. Well, shit. <laughs> World is doomed. Sorry. Uh, I just, I, I don't want to speak in, in those terms of just like absolutes and hyperbole only. Yeah. That is all that works. Uh, yeah. I, it can be frustrating. I, I think like you just have to accept the terms of engagement of the platform you're speaking on. Understand that like if you and I sit down to talk about the format, we're probably going to have a nice conversation about it and get to some truths and some some deep meaning and figure some things out. And if you post your thoughts about the format on Twitter, you're going to get a very opposite experience and uh, engage in the spaces that are conducive to the types of conversation you want to have. That's like the biggest advice I could give to humans in general yeah. for how to navigate the world as it exists now is just think about where you're having your conversations. Well, you, you may have noticed that I haven't been posting much on Twitter, but I get it. I get it. I don't know, folks. Think, think about this. Think about how wowed or amazed you are whenever someone comes up with a good sideboard plan or whatever that completely changes the paradigm for a deck even if it is just in the context of a single matchup right and just the fascination that people have with like transformational sideboard strategies because that's sometimes mm. what it takes right those are the things that are only possible by looking at the numbers and realizing that they're false or like that this is a thing that is changeable, right? And that is how you get your biggest edges. I think it's great advice. So so what do you want? You know, do you want to just live and die by the numbers? Or do you do you actually want to be the person that like changes them? One fish, please. Yeah. Delivered. Hand delivered to me. That's what I will that's what I will take. Ah. Uh, just thinking about the anime meme with like the little kid going up to the counter. I don't know this one. I feel like I know. Oh, no, you, you do every anime and every meme. So this is, I I'm disappointed. I'm not immediately figuring out what you're talking about. I I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, I don't even know how to like look up memes. Cause I don't do this. If you just generally like type meme and the thing you're thinking about, like, however it first pops to your mind, you'll usually get there. Like, Kid with Fish probably gets you there, if that's that's what we're going for here. Kid uh, walk up, walks up to counter. You buys a cookie. <laughs> you buys a cookie, okay. Why you, you? Why you, you buys a cookie. Never seen this. No way. I've never seen this. It's, it's got like the little girl going up to the camera, yeah, right? I'm looking at it right now. I, I, I promise you I've never seen this. Dude, this is somehow one of the ones that I have seen the most. That's so weird. So weird. I just feel like I, I live a life filled with memes, and this is just not one. That... And anime, right? Okay. Yeah. Anyway, folks, send Brian your favorite. <laughs> you buys a cookie memes on Twitter, our favorite place. Yeah, just 
all my favorite things. And speaking of how numbers are bad and the devil, uh, let's talk about a Frank Carson tweet who uh, just goes into the numbers of the standard format. How about that? We should, at this point, our podcast should be patrons of Frank Carson since he just does all of our work for us and brings us these beautiful, uh, I don't know what to call these things. I just call them like boxes with the colors. Yeah, just matchup grids. Yeah, routinely brings us boxes with the colors. And uh, thank you, Frank. We are very appreciative. Yeah, again, I think that this is helpful as long as you are using it as kind of like a guidepost and not the law. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah, sample sizes, player skill, uh, deck, uh, like how people's decks are built and whatever. It's just like all these things matter. Anyway, uh, there were three regional championships last weekend, all of which were standard. All of them took place in the APOC region, I believe. I think that's correct. Uh, Japan, South Korea, Australia, New Zealand, and Southeast Asia regions. Uh Man, you just you just missed the New Zealand ones. Were, were I know. Were any of the the homies preparing for theirs? Yep, yep. Several folks uh, participated, and uh, no, no winners amongst the field there. But uh, yeah, you know the LSS crew is still obviously a lot of them come from Magic backgrounds in Magic. Uh, still very much into Magic. Still very abreast of what's going on. So it absolutely crosses over. So Zen Takahashi one the one in melbourne yeah uh, who is a new zealander but he has nothing to do with flesh and blood he does not uh jason chung who does used to uh i believe be on a team with zen mm. back in the day um but he no he doesn't have any uh any relationship to flesh and blood i don't even know if he plays i'm, I'm not sure well i would imagine that you would probably check out like all the local talent. So I don't know, maybe he was just not interested or yeah, maybe kind of curious what, the, what was going on there, I suppose. But uh, yeah, Zen one with honestly a, a pretty stock Grixis deck to the point where, you know, there's like the one blade coil serpent main that has shown up in a lot of the magic online list Four copies mm-hmm. of invoke despair. That was very much in vogue uh, for the moto stuff and uh, not too much wild stuff going on in the sideboard some razor lash transmogrins to be a little bit more aggressive in mirror matches a whack i love the whack i i have played it a few times and it's basically never done anything for me but in an ideal it's still world, a whack it's it is it is whack. it is a whack it was very very good for me unlimited multiple okay. times but yeah, just like i i want you know, like a, a cheap card for these like Rafines and like other assorted silly white creatures. And it just never lined up. I could see that. Uh, yeah, I'm not really sure what there is to to talk about with this particular list. Like you said, very much in line with what Grixis has been doing. Uh, certainly a lot of cards that have made it to the forefront of these decks. I'm excited to see, obviously focused on Invoke Despair at this point, which here a lot of people hold out as a card that like, maybe should be considered for, for banning that's kind of wild to me like I, I understand its influence over games is tremendous obviously these Grixis decks are warping themselves in a way to be able to include this deck um i i don't view this card as a problem i view it as very strong but it's hard for this type of card to really be a problem in my eyes i agree with you uh maybe last week or the week before i was talking about how it it kind of looked like 
folks were doing standard a little bit wrong. And this is the sort of stuff that I meant where just everyone kind of like circling this card. It's like, well, that seems ripe for exploitability. Mm -hmm. And not only that, but it just seemed like maybe it was the only thing that mattered uh, before Phyrexia, but after Phyrexia, it seemed like things had changed where now we have like pretty good, pretty reasonable aggro decks and yeah, a lot of absolutely. a lot of different ones. And also this is this card is supposed to be like the mid-range breaker, right? And now a lot of these decks are able to just put attracts into play. Mm -hmm. So my experience was that Invoke was just like too small ball now and certainly way too slow uh to fight against things like mono red and Toxic wasn't on my radar as like a tier one thing, but that, that one definitely fits the bill too. Yeah, and we're certainly going to talk about that more, but I, I'm in the exact same place as you on this card. It is a dominant mid-range tool. It sort of reminds me of the, and I'm blanking on the name of the saga, five mana black saga. Very, very important for an extended period in standard uh the one animation it's like a creature or planeswalker yeah yeah elder yeah. something elder Re eldest reborn there we go yeah uh with our powers combined yep yep and that card was great and extremely extremely impactful and never seriously considered for banning it does so many of like the same things that invoke despair does um it's weird that this card has reach. Like I, I get that, but ultimately I think it's fine. I think this card is fine. And I think it is an exploitable card, like you said. And I think that's what we started to see in the results here. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. It's like Zen, very, very good magic player. Uh, not surprised to see him pick up what is basically, you know, the best deck going in and just kind of like crushing everyone. But then you look at the results from the other tournaments. Uh, the Japanese one was won by Ray Sato, former MPL player. Yep. Uh, one of one of the MPL players that kind of like leaned aggro too, which was like, there, there were a few of them for sure, but it was, it was always kind of like weird to see um, because normally it'd be like leaning towards this, this sort of stuff, like the invoke despair moto hive mind type of stuff or like right. trying to break it with like combo control or whatever but yeah ray just green white beatdowns uh innovative too and i think ray did a really good job with this deck i don't know if, if he built it specifically but uh i watched a lot of the coverage from that tournament and he he's still just as sharp as ever uh his deck looked really really good and it definitely looked like people were not exactly prepared to beat it so i don't know when you when you say like green white toxic i guess th there are just a myriad of cards that you would expect right and it's like this this is not the modern sort of like infect deck mm -hmm. because the the pump spells aren't that effective right so like this is just like a green white creature deck that uh has been tuned to be able to go wide so like yeah. venerated rot priest I think it does a bunch of things really well, actually. I, yeah. think, I think that's what's really unique about this deck. So Venerated Rock Priest, Crawling Chorus, Skrelv. So 12-1 drops total. Uh, Jawbone Duelist is the Double Striker. Slaughter Singer is the Green-White. 
uh, uncommon that pumps things. Mm-hmm. Bloated contaminator, three mana, four, four. Uh, basically toxic to you as like toxic trample and proliferate when it hits Dude, them. somebody played that card against me in limited and i was like holy shit yeah, messed this up. card is a beating yeah messed up card yeah uh three annex entries limited all-star uh good against both like the fable token and the fable itself you know uh yeah. four copies of screlves hive four tyvar stand as the only pump spell but also just like a protection spell uh good yeah with- more protection spell in my eyes yeah good with the double striker good with the trampler uh, three charge of the mites, twenty-two lands, including four seed core and four murex. Mm-hmm. So getting a lot of utility from your lands too, because there's also just like a Basaju and an Iganjo hanging out. So yep, I had a seed core in my green white draft deck. It was very strong. Oh yeah, Dude, very very strong. I, I'm shocked that it doesn't make you pay a life to cast the Phyrexian thing. Extremely extremely strong. Uh, all of this makes so much sense to me there is a, a really good case for this deck being strong at protecting itself. Things like Tyvar Stand give you that little bit of interactivity. Having Reach, which is really hard for these things, these decks to do in combination venerated Rock Priest, but maybe more impressively Tyvar Stand, again, combining with things like uh, Bloated Contaminator, like the Jawbone Duelist, and just getting these kills out of nowhere, which I think is really valuable for a deck like this to have. Uh, some staying power in the form of Skrelv's Hive in conjunction with things like the Seed Core, getting a lot from its mana base too. When a deck is like the type of deck that can redefine a format where the rules of engagement are very, very hard set, I often find it's a deck that gets a lot from its mana base. Like being able to produce both threats and make those threats better with Murex and the Seed Core. I think that's, a again, another very large part of why this deck is able to succeed. It's not just a beatdown deck. It's a deck that plays smarter. And I think that gives you a lot of flexibility in your sideboarding. And you see that with things like Wedding Announcement uh, and then just like some kind of catch-all removal where you're able to really sort of transition to a more mid-range style against whatever is going to be bringing you down. Love the Lantern Flare here too as a way to combat any other hard aggressive decks and get you a little boost on life. Yeah, with Mono Red showing up on Magic Online and like certainly being very, very present on Arena 2, yep. cards like Lantern Flare and Parasitic Grasp have been like mainstays seems in my sideboards. Yep, seems smart. I've mostly been playing best of one just for, you know, ease of time or whatever, but like still going through and building the sideboards because it's it's fun for me. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, those, those cards are super nice. And uh, I forget where ray brought in the lantern flares but it like it was against stuff that was like not mono red i don't remember if he brought it against like mono blue or something but mm. you know a little bit that's, of added yeah, that utility. seems reasonable yeah that seems fine uh so previous versions of this deck basically didn't have like annex entry or scrubs hive or all the murexes or even like charge of the mites just and- all in on aggro yeah pretty much and i think that was sort of uh, a failing point of it because then people would bring in things like Brotherhood's End or just even like load up on spot removal and you'd just be like, sure. yep, I'm I'm sunk. You know, I can't really do anything. And it was actually incredible watching Ray play this deck and just being able to like play the game until like turn 10, you know? Yep. And like actually put his opponents into situations where, uh, you know, they have stuff to do, but they are just going to lose to the the horde of mites that he has accumulated over the last few turns or whatever. And uh, a big part of that was like Skrelv's Hive and, and Murex for sure. 
very cool shift to mid-range this deck is capable of. Uh, and I, I think that's important in, in formats like this. And then the other one, Southeast, uh, Southeast Asia Regional Championship, uh, was won by a, a deck that I had seen a little bit of before, but had not paid too much attention to as far as like, oh, you know, is are, are these the correct numbers or whatever? It just kind of mm -hmm. like seemed like a thing people were doing, but like domain control. Sure. And uh, this list, yeah, I don't know. Okay, so like 25 lands, a bunch of triumphs, obviously, uh, making good use out of Leyline Binding. Uh, no sweepers, no sweepers in the in the 75 either, like the 2BB card. So I guess this, yeah, this is basically just Bant. Um, no, no, so Depopulate. Yeah, no, the 2BB card, like the actual domain. Oh, uh, got you. Yep. Yeah, so just playing Depopulate instead because leaning on Bant colors. Uh, four copies of Herd Migration, <laughs> which is like two mana, lay the land, gain three life, or seven mana domain, make a 3-3 three, three for each land type. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's probably good enough when you're, when you're stretching this far and you, you do have access to these huge payouts. Uh, I get it. It seems like a good bridge here. Yeah. Uh, Contagious Vorak, limited all-star, doing... Very much a card that you and I uh, should should have had on our radar, right? Like, this is right in our wheelhouse. I've I've put Borderland Ranger on a lot of top 10 lists and gotten burned. Yep. yep. So, I don't know. I th I think that this one is still, like, a little sussy, but it's it does its job it's all just, it needs to do i'm just not sure it's like the best possible thing but i guess like all these mid-range decks they start with bank buster right so you need well not maybe not need but like you do want something that interacts with it to be able to crew it and everything and then there's stuff like make disappear where maybe you want some random bodies lying around so i don't know mm -hmm. maybe maybe vorak is the best you can do but like i've, I've seen this start to show up in jund lists and stuff too there are good things we can proliferate onto as well. It's just our planeswalkers for the most part. Uh, bank Buster, if you want an extra card. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But I, ideally, I think you're just... This deck is so man-hungry, right? You have Atraxa right. at the top end, too, and it's it's like fair Atraxa, you know? There's... Yeah, need it to be a real 7-7 seven, seven flying vigilance death touch lifelink classic fair card. Yeah, there's there's no reanimates here. You know, a lot of these decks you'd see like in Invoke Justice or Cruelty of Gix or whatever. And this this one is just casting it. And that is completely reasonable. So I guess Vorak gives you like another creature hit off this. So it makes mm -hmm. sense to just have a split of all the card types, which it basically does, you know? Yeah seven different card types in the main deck so <laughs> able to live the dream uh a couple endless detours showing up uh that was a card that i definitely liked a lot but you know three man is a little clunky and bant is not necessarily the best color combination but like this mm -hmm. is making it work and yeah sideboard more bant cards uh lay down arms some knockout blows disdainful stroke negate return to nature a couple thrones anissa yeah, ascended animus feels, feels heavily stocked against uh the aggro decks, which tells me that this player is very comfortable into these mid-range decks, which I get it. You're freaking massive. Like you, you have things like herd migration attracts at your top end, uh, these very, very dominant planeswalking threats. So I, I totally understand why the focus lies on just like living long enough to do your stuff. Yeah. Just a, a ton of card advantage, a ton of two for ones. So 
this is the type of thing that I would be scared of when when playing like Invoke Justice type of stuff. It's like, wow, you're you're really capitalizing on like the mirror match and like things that are slightly smaller than you, but like these are the decks that should terrify you. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'm seeing some good evolution of the standard format. Good moves, uh, you know, changes in the sizing of decks, changes in what the aggro decks are presenting. Been a cool standard format to follow for sure. Yeah, and the the second place deck uh, in the Japan RC was also nice to watch. This is Esper Legends, which is a deck that I've messed around a bunch with and uh, kind of slowly, slower than I would have liked to, came to the consensus opinion that just like you can just play a bunch of the legendary lands as spells and then up up your land count. And I've seen decks that have upwards of like 29 land in these decks just because they Love it. they play like all the Odawaras and sure. Takanumas and Iganjos and stuff. And this one goes even harder on that somehow where it's like utilizing uh, the Raven Man, which was already fine enough when you had things like Rafine in your deck, um, but also has like Toulouse as a card that's not a legend, but whenever you channel one of the lands, it goes under the Toulouse. So if your Toulouse dies, you just get to pick it back up again. Oh, Lord. And then a lot of stuff going on. Yeah. Also has like a one of Unctus, which is like whenever one of your blue creatures becomes tapped, mm-hmm. you, mm-hmm. you loot. Right. So a lot Stacks of, are getting weird. A lot of like discard synergy stuff that I would have not thought to go quite as hard on, but looked, looked really good. And it just means that you get to focus on threats and curving out and, Certainly at this point, making sure that you have the ability to make all your your land drops because uh, this this deck has 27 of them, right? And then you just don't have to play a ton of interaction because you're just getting it from your lands and like Odawara, Iganjo are just among some of the best interaction that you can have in the format, especially when they cost one mana. Yeah, them costing one, they're just very different cards, right? They've completely changed the context of, of what they're doing in that case. Yeah, I don't think that they were expected to get down to like costing one, right? It was like, well, you know, maybe you get like a bonus on your Odawara or whatever, because you have a random legendary creature running around. Uh, It comes up occasionally in modern when you have like a Ragavan or an Omnath or something, but this is just like, no, they're just one man every time. Exciting, man. If if this is, if if this is the cost you have to pay, uh, like for the limited format being so bad, but you introduce all these cards that are just having this awesome effect on standard. I'll take that. I mean, like, you know, not every limited set can be a banger. Like I said, the limited set explores some new ideas, does some interesting stuff, but its impact on standard has been very good, especially at a time when standard's going to be played again. Uh, you know, same complaints. Uh, one of my five contractually obligated complaints. <laughs> uh, wish there's more reason to care, but on the whole, I am quite pleased with the shape standard has taken on. Yeah, and uh, I haven't looked at all the deck lists for the other ones. I'm like pretty interested to now because the the Japanese ones are really good. Uh, there was a mono blue, uh, I, I guess tempo. It's labeled as tempo and is is basically that uh, in in the top eight of the Japanese one. And got to see that player on camera a couple times too. And uh, their their deck was, I think, all foil. And nice, love it. They they played their deck in more of like a combo-y way than I would have expected, which was actually just delightful. Like to see them, for example, like beat Mono Red playing for top eight. Uh just by 
not not doing kind of what you would expect like turtling up with haughty gin it was just like okay i have a gin you have three creatures let's race and it it wasn't like they locked they had it locked up already it was just like i kind of did the math and i feel like this is a thing that's winnable for me which involved instead of them specifically like going after their opponents like creatures or threats or whatever it was just like no i'm just gonna chain card drawing spells try and race you try and find march of swirling swirling mist on on like the last turn uh to just like pump up my hottie gin enough you know it was just like it was it was kind of beautiful to watch honestly because it was like oh yeah you know mono blue against mono red seems like a nightmare matchup or whatever and it it was just brilliant march of swirling mist back when i was uh working on kamigawa very high on my list of cards where i'm like this card has i'm not saying it is i'm not saying to change it i'm saying this card has a lot of potential to be very very messed up and i can't accurately evaluate this because how good this card is is 100 dependent on the things surrounding it if the tools surrounding this card are good i think this card can actually be meta defining maybe to a problematic extent because it is so punishing to play against and it just puts you in a lot of no-win situations so hearing a player leveraging this card so so hard it it really makes me very happy it's it's basically a time walk that can cost you almost nothing like a a one mana time walk if you get it in the right scenarios scary man scary card yeah you're you're converting resources that you probably wouldn't be able to use if the game played out naturally into doing like the exact sort of thing that you want to be doing that you need to be doing in that game state and it costs virtually nothing it's it's so cheap when you are doing it that way and then yeah we've we've seen this show up alongside things like hottie gin like the cost reduction and then also mm-hmm. hinata yep uh so you know, you you've been right like when the tools exist like this ends up being kind of a tech card that is very very powerful and allows those decks to do pretty silly things yeah i'm not even sure we've seen this card ceiling yet honestly like at the bigger standard gets the more support this card gets the more dangerous it is so well this is uh is is this eight one more set no this is seven right yeah one more set i think well a set and a half because we get aftermath also (laughs) yeah fair enough i don't know all the math has changed yeah i don't know if that counts but uh yeah it is it is interesting i think one of the reasons maybe we haven't seen this is well certainly there hasn't been as much of a focus on standard but also it's a card that people just like forget exists except for like truly gigabrain geniuses, you know? Yep. Yep. And I, I always love seeing the gigabrains come out through these type of events. And I think they did this weekend. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of the spice. Uh, the, I guess the other thing was uh, Kenta Harane, uh, another very, very good Japanese pro was in top eight of the RC2. And I, so Kenta was playing the same deck as Yuki Ichikawa which in general i would assume that if there are a group of people playing the same deck as yuki it is likely something that yuki created Mm -hmm. but that might not be true but yuki is a prolific deck builder you know and they were playing uh grixis but going hard on the reanimator stuff which getting attracts in the mix right which was again why i was not very high on things like invoke despair and their deck overall looked pretty good and i think their team as a whole did pretty good uh so that one was basically 
I don't know. It's like it's still like the cheap interaction. It's still Blood Tithe Harvester, Corpse Appraiser. But then yeah, it's, it, does, it doesn't ask anything from you to get this Atraxa in your deck. Like it's all cards. You're like, yeah, I would probably play that anyway. Right. Yeah. I mean, you have Harvester and Fable to to ditch it pretty easily. And yep. then instead of things like Invoke Despair and then like the Shield Drids and Blade Coil Serpent, it's just like you just play Cruelty of Gix and Atraxa. And it doesn't ask that much of you. And then their mana base also branches out a little bit, right? Like they have some random like white sources and green sources and stuff. So they can just cast attracts if the game goes along also. Yep. Theoretical casting. Always nice, nice to see at, at very low cost. You know, we, we don't call these things free, but it is very low cost to have that option added to your deck. Right. Uh, some of the lists that I've seen have had like a copy of big score main and then like another in the sideboard yep. when facing I've down graveyard that. hate. Uh, there, there's also like the play pattern where like maybe you play cruelty on five on chapter one and then you want something to tutor for as a discard outlet and i don't really see anything in this list that is a good way to go about doing that outside of just like getting a harvester but i i would kind of like to see uh, a big score maybe in the in these lists just for the off chance that you like hard cast the atraxa or that's like a tutorable powerful discard outlet yeah, low cost for sure, but looking through the slots do seem quite tight. So, yeah, I mean they're they're going so hard as to like main deck duress, which was is certainly a medical right, and then maybe doesn't line up all that well against things like uh, Selesnya Toxic, you know. But yeah, there are potential cuts to be made. So I, yeah, I I don't even think that card is that bad against Toxic. Like not getting blown out by the hexproof is pretty damn important against that deck no for sure but it's like they they have 11 cards that you can hit with it game one i think it's not yeah. a lot yeah but i like the way those games play out though you should be able to whether you hit or not this is one of the things i like about dress is that it can be useful in spots whether it does the thing it's supposed to do or not just because it is supposed to provide certainty to your play line and when you need to play in a certain fashion you just go okay if i can do this on this turn I will transition on this next turn and be fine. It was something that came up a bunch. Uh, there was a period back when the Jun Sacrifice decks were really good. And I added Duress to the main deck of them. And uh, Carmen Handy, I know, played it to a, a very near top eight in a GP. And it, it was basically for this reason where like there were matchups where the card wasn't good. But even in those spots you got so much equity from the knowledge that, okay, this is one of the spots where this card isn't good. I'm able to move forward now with my main plan. Sure. Uh, I see it. I see some of that happening here as well. It, I, I like that in a deck like Rakdos sack where you're not necessarily constrained on resources. Like you have a lot of sources of maybe not even card advantage, but just like things to do with your mana. Absolutely. And yeah. you can just spew off a mana and a card and have it not be super meaningful. Mm -hmm. but that, I don't think that's the case with Grixis when you have... Yeah, maybe less true here. You, you, have, you have things like Atraxa in your deck, which is maybe not uh, like an actual piece of cardboard for a lot of the game, you sure. know? And then you're uh, like, good point. viewing off a dress, and it's like, well, the, I know the coast is clear, but like, I also don't have the tools to like deal with their stuff anyway, so it doesn't really matter. Yeah, coast is clear. My hand is Atraxa, Atraxa. Yeah, it's it, uh, a hamster. Corpse appraiser. <laughs> so... Uh, I, I see what you're saying. I, I can kind of agree with it. Um, but just merely stating that it could end up going poorly, you know, mm -hmm. it's not quite the same as yeah, those enough. other scenarios, but, uh, if you want to play Grixis, this is kind of the thing that I would look at 
uh, especially because, you know, things like, ooh, unlicensed hearse out of the sideboard, people have graveyard hate. It's like, well, this deck just can cast a track, so it doesn't actually care. And Cruelty of Gix doesn't need to reanimate something to still have a bunch of text on it. And also, you can just shave on those cards in sideboarding, which is... Yep. Very important. Uh, something I've I've seen a lot of people do, and then something I've seen people like oddly not do, where it's just like I'm playing it's, uh, you know, Selesnya Toxic or whatever, where Atraxa doesn't even necessarily mean that the game ends if you put it into play or whatever, and they're just like, well, it's it's what my like deck is named after or whatever, so I'm keeping all the copies. It's like no, you can actually just shave on those. It's yeah, okay. So many so many options in your sideboard to so just go ahead and get that whole package out if you need to. Right. You don't need the massive top end to beat them necessarily. Yeah. So. And you're actually like in that scenario, we talked a lot about how Invoke Despair not really lining up all that well. But you look at this, the way this deck is built and just say you cut for Atraxa for Cruelty of Gix and totally get away from that plan. Well, what's coming in? Okay. You have Brotherhood's End. You have uh, Go for the Throat. You have Cut Downs. All, all these very, very effective spot removal spells that you can use as opposed to just these very very clunky things i think you actually end up in a better position to play that matchup than some of the other decks might uh with with your sideboarding options there yeah and then since you're just like shredding your average mana value i would also just want the fourth bank buster at that point too. sure absolutely and then you your your plan to beat them is just two for one over and over with like corpse appraiser bank buster fable the mirror breaker stuff like that Perfect. and yeah yeah maybe you Seems want completely strong enough maybe you want a couple Fresh of tracks I could see a Shroldred as well, oh. just like swapping to that as your top end. Sure. Yeah, I could see that too. I mean, it, it blocks the 4-5 or, or the 4-4 four, four yeah. reasonably. So yeah. that's probably worth it. Like you just need to make sure that you're not dying to like a horde of 1-1s from Mirix or the Hive, right? So yeah. have some way to like actually close the game or whatever, but that's about it. Uh, I think you can you can tune these Grixis decks certainly to, to line up pretty well against like the small ball package from those decks um i guess like they're boarding in wedding announcement also so mm -hmm. maybe that is a reason to keep in like a couple of tracks but it, it should not be the main goal anymore i think you're right uh but as far as like the actual numbers you want to talk about those a little bit sure a, a little bit i i'm not super convinced they're meaningful just given sample size and the fact that i think there's a lot of room to adjust like we already mentioned like th these decks should change i think the metagame should change and I don't think these numbers are all that determinative. Yeah, I guess. So in in line with like the Dresses main deck out of the Grixis decks, the thing that I was doing on Arena based on what I was seeing was uh, I was playing like more copies of Brotherhood's End main deck because okay. of Monterey and stuff like that. And sure. they kind of went the other way with like the main deck Dresses. It was like they're playing against more mirror matches and stuff like that. It's like, okay. Well, going forward, I expect that sort of stuff to shift, right? Like Toxic doing well, you're probably going to see more removal, more Brotherhood's Ends, more mid-range or control decks that are trying to keep those decks down. Um, so Selesnya Toxic had a 65% win percentage. Well, I, I would expect that like the innovations there have been made. Like the deck was probably about as good as it was going to get last week. So maybe 90% win percentage against Grixis, by the way. Again, small sample size, but yeah. well, hell of a performance. Yeah, nine and one. That's that's hella good. I, I do think it was like the enchantments, the land, the uh, announcements out of the sideboard. Maybe people playing like the clunky Atraxa stuff too probably mm -hmm. helped them a little bit. Yep. Um, but yeah, I, I would expect Selesnya to be like a little bit worse going forward 
and uh, domain control, 63.3% win rate. Like that's pretty high from a deck that was not really on anyone's radar. Like I, I saw it show up here and there. I think I saw like Willie Adel top 16 or top 32, a challenge with it or something, but mm-hmm. uh, not a whole lot uh, other than that. And maybe that picks up some steam too. Could see it. A uh, bunch of different reanimator decks. Jund reanimator, 56%. Grixis reanimator, 52.8. Rakdos reanimator, 52.4. Uh, building these has been uh, kind of like the highlights of my last couple weeks. Building with them and tuning them and everything because it's like a very fun deck for me personally and also pretty good. And I like a lot of the cards that go into the decks. And you love did, it when a plan comes together. Yeah, it's just like all of this stuff was kind of made for me. You know, it's like Fable not just filtering through cards, but like also leading to something bigger and better. Uh, so there's there's a lot to be tinkered with and tuned with in those lists. And I think that those are probably only going to get better. But maybe maybe that plan is not as good as it was before if the format is speeding up a little bit maybe uh one of the trends i would really expect over the next couple couple weeks just less grixis i I don't think grixis has the stranglehold on this format that some people expected i think these tournaments showed that grixis 29 percent of the total field 49.5 percent win rate which is fine like i don't that's not why i would write off grixis i think that is completely respectable for the most played deck the deck that was on everyone's radar yeah that's actually pretty good honestly it's so close to 50 percent Yep, nothing wrong with that whatsoever. But what I think is more important is just we've proven that there's a lot of different ways forward and a lot of things you can still explore. A lot of ways for these sort of second and third tier archetypes to continue to evolve. They they weren't finished decks. That's what I keep coming back to is there's so much more to do with these archetypes, so many ways to refine them. I think that'll continue. And I think one of the ways these decks get refined is to shore up they're Grixis matchups above everything else. You look at the three decks with the highest win percentage. They they got there basically by preying on Grixis. Like that's what they were here to do. Going big. So yeah, Selesnia Toxic, Domain Control, Jun Reanimator, 90%, 67%, and 69% against Grixis, respectively. And I think Grixis can adapt. Grixis, Grixis can change. The cards are really strong. But on the whole, the incentives to just be like, I'm jamming Grixis, this beats everything, it has no bad matchups. I don't buy that anymore. There's too many other ways to challenge this deck. I think a lot of that was true pre-Phyrexia. Sure, I agree with you. But it was just like inertia that led to to people kind of staying with the the tried and true, I suppose. And yep. Phyrexia was a hell of a set, right? Honestly. And and there wasn't a whole lot of incentive to also move standard forward, right? So mm-hmm. I get why it took this long for Grixis to maybe adapt, maybe die. Uh, whatever is going to happen, but change at least. Yeah, change. Uh, so the I think the four invoked despair days are probably over at least for now. That's probably for the best. I think so too. Then then we can get back to talking about you know banning fable or whatever. Right. Whatever we need to ban next, then we'll we'll move to that. Uh, Rakdos mid range fifty five percent small sample size like massively small sample size mono red. Doing a good job, 55%. Big sample size, like 200 matches. Yeah, very big. Uh, Only 50% against Grixis. 
good against mono white, but everything was good against mono white. Uh, slight dog against Esper Legends, good against mono blue, good against Azoria Soldiers. So, yeah, I'm kind of surprised that mono red did so poorly against Grixis. I would imagine that would be the thing that they're like trying to hard target, but yeah, Shieldred's a hell of a card. If there was an aggressive deck that Grixis was teching for going into this event, it probably was mono red in fairness. Like that was the thing that they would have adjusted to been on the forefront of their minds. Yeah. Maybe why some of the other aggressive decks were able to exploit it a little bit more. Yeah, like I said, Parasitic Grasp, uh, quite good. And yeah. less good against things like Skrelv's Hive and Bloated Contaminator and mm. Murix and whatnot. So I don't know. Maybe maybe Celestia is still like the better aggro deck going forward just because of the resiliency. Yeah, we'll have to see. We'll have to see. I, I think it depends a lot on what adjustments are available against Selesnya. Obviously, it's going to be the hot thing coming out of this week. And I've already heard some people saying that they feel like it's sort of a flash in the pan, lost its luster a little bit once people prepare for it. I don't know. I think this deck has a lot of moves to make. I, certainly, any deck is weaker once it's on the radar. That's just how magic works. Yes. Uh, but... I, I think there's some really good sideboard plans with the Celestia Toxic deck, and that's what excites me the most. Yeah, I mean, it's it. I think it is going to get worse, but it has the tools to still be a great deck where you have excellent curve, excellent mana. Uh, you basically don't run out of things to do with your mana. You have uh, plenty of staying power in late game. You have interaction with like Annex Entry and Charge of the Mites if if you want it or need it. And those cards are also just like fine proactive things too. You have uh, Tyvar Stand, which is super versatile. Like it, it does bring a lot to the table. Certainly more than Mono Red, where it's like, well, game one you can deal three damage to a thing. So like anything bigger than that is going to be pretty tough. And then maybe you can adjust after sideboarding or whatever. But like, Celestia just starts all that stuff. It front loads like all the good stuff. And I guess maybe the weakest part about it, about it overall is the lack of great sideboard options but even stuff like wedding announcement is like really powerful and potentially like matchup swinging you know yep one of the things that excites me most about selesnia is i think it's going to be able to move up and down the aggro mid-range control spectrum yep. a lot yeah i think it's gonna have a lot of flexibility with how far it leans in any one direction so yep definitely agree with that i mean it, it just Depend. You got to figure out like where people are trying to fight you, right? Like yep. if you see more Brotherhood's Ends type of stuff, it's like, well, you know, maybe slow down a little bit, don't overcommit as much, uh, maybe get some additional like four toughness things in there, uh, mm -hmm. play the games in such a way where you get to hold open like the Tyvar stand, kind of expecting the sweeper rather than just like playing into it. How you might have like a couple weeks before because no one had it main deck or whatever. So. Yeah, there are, there are still things to be done on that front, so uh, probably still pretty good. And everything else, like Mopey mid-range decks, all like, you know, <laughs> high 30s, low 40s win percentage. Again, I think it's like that Atraxa arms race and the fact that there are just like good aggro decks now. Yep, not, not the spot I want to be. You're just kind of weak to everything in that world, so. Yep, and I, I guess Esper Legends at 55%, like just a, a solid deck and a, a lot of tuning that can potentially be done as we've been seeing. And also like, it doesn't necessarily have to be Esper. Like we saw some four color decks. I saw some Abzan ones. Yeah, good point. Uh, a lot of different stuff to be doing there potentially, but still fairly one track, which is kind of the weakness.
For sure. Uh, but those creatures, though, man, there's like some real disruptive options in that creature base. And like you mentioned, when you could branch out to so many places and there's 4000 legends in standard right now. L- so, literally. Yeah. Yeah. Just find new combinations, figure out what you need to beat. And I feel like there's something out there that'll let you beat it. Do you see the Slogurk one? No, I did not see that one. Do you remember what Slogurk does? Uh, no, not off the top of my head. Uh, one UG three, three. When a land would go to your graveyard from anywhere, put a counter on it. Uh, and then when it leaves play, you can rebuy three lands. I feel like you can remove three counters to bounce it too. Okay. So uh, at the Japanese, yeah. Okay, so trample. Whenever a land is put in your graveyard from anywhere, put a counter on this. Remove three counters, return it to its owner's hand. When it leaves the battlefield, return up to three target land cards from your graveyard to your hand. So basically, instead of Toulouse, they were splashing this in Esper. Okay. And uh, you just go off with like very silly Takanuma or Odawara chains. It sounds very silly. Very, very silly. I wanted to do it, especially since the... Uh, the list looked uh, like a, a little a little dirty, like could have been cleaned up a little bit. But the primary way that I'm playing on mobile is is on mobile, and I I just decided oh, yeah. that I did not want to do this. On no, mobile, no. So. don't subject yourself to that. Not uh, worth it. I saw Yo Man tweet that like it was slow and bad, and I mean I guess slow is in the name, which sure. it's kind of implied. But uh, I I kind of disagree with that. I think I think that there is something there, but the list as is did not look great to me, but if you are, you know, playing Esper and you're just like, look, I need like a little bit more of a mid to late game punch. I, I don't think that that's bad. I don't think it's a bad place to be. Okay. Yeah. Interesting tool to have up your sleeve. And it's like the man is whatever, you know, you're playing 30 lands. Yeah. Oh yeah. Man, it doesn't matter. You anymore. have Plaza of heroes. You kind of have to figure it out a little bit, you know, make sure it's not horrendous or whatever, but it's doable. It'll it'll get there though. Yeah, you'll, all, you'll, uh, they all get there. You'll figure it out. What else? Closing thoughts. Standard limited. What you got? Outsiders limited. Going to start soon as closing thoughts. So you know, if we want to do a show on that. We can we can come back around. Contractually obligated. Yeah, that's also one of the five spots. <laughs> are are you? Uh, no, I I I don't really have any other thoughts. I I had a a nice week with magic. I thought. Uh, magic contributed positively to my life this week and I should give it props for doing so. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely did that too because I don't know, hot off the heels of a Pioneer Pro Tour, a bunch of standard action going down, playing some limited and I also broke modern. Okay, yeah, that's good. So just going to casually throw that in there. I've told one person, I've shown one person my deck list and that's it. Okay. And maybe maybe we'll am, talk am about that, that in a couple of weeks. But you, you showed me a deck list. Am I that person, or is it that not the broken one? Um, I don't remember which deck list I showed you. Oh no, you got the uh, you got like the the one point one version. Okay, I'm on I'm on like two point eight. Cool. Let's tease them. Let's do it next week. No, I think I think it's I think it's two weeks. Okay. Because modern doesn't cool. change. It doesn't matter. Sure. Keep the people coming back. Maybe oh No, let's do this. Maybe we'll do it next week. Maybe we'll do it the week after that. Now they have to listen to both shows. Got them. Uh, yeah, we can say that, but it's a lie. Just just so y'all. 
not good at advertising, Gerald. Anyway, yeah, Magic was great this week in in just like all formats too, which is wild. And they banned Le- stuff in like legacy bands. Yeah, we didn't even touch on that. But, uh, Duration. Yeah, that's oh. a surprising one, but it's not. It's you just you have to ban everything <sighs> until you ban Brainstorm. Yeah, I know, I know. It's just silly though, but it's fine. It doesn't matter. Something something else will replace it. It doesn't matter. I mean, dude, iteration was messed up because you can't you can't give Delver uh, a new way to like break a paradigm. Oh, so you're saying Delver will be bad now and it won't be played anymore? No, but it it won't uh, it won't okay. be able to like seamlessly transition into control deck. Also, like keep it about one for ones and you know eighteen or nineteen lands or whatever, and at least then it's like, well, we can attack that axis with something right but when you give it iteration and suddenly it just has like this incredible card advantage spell alongside mystic sanctuary and stuff like that it's just the deck does too much so i get it realistically the the problem card is brainstorm obviously you know i bet it finds a new plan i don't know i just have this feeling like somehow it'll it'll find a way to shift effectively between roles when it needs to and uh I I really like my uh Still be good. my Delver Tarmogoyf Uro deck where you side out Delver against everyone. Sure. But I've obviously played zero with it, so Well, why would you? Exactly. Uh so yeah, that's it. That's all I got. Magic was pretty dope. Uh still liking the cards. Limited format, not great, but I like it. Drafting and building the decks is fun. Just playing the games, not so much. Uh, but yeah, Magic's great. Glad to hear it. Game. Game. Good luck. <laughs>